Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, uh, worship team. Great job on the songs. Good job in the park. And again, to echo what Jerry was saying, um, for everyone that had a part in making it possible, even if you just showed up, right, and you were there, uh, that was a blessing. So it was my first time to do the sunrise service out here, and I was honored to be a part of it. And, um, and so, yeah, I felt like, man, what a great turnout for the community. What a great ministry. And you guys might be thinking not maybe not a lot of quantity. I thought there was a lot of people, but I thought it was quality in the sense that I was able to connect with people that had come here before and that were thinking about coming back. And um, so, yeah, I established some, you know, some points of uh, relationship there and got some numbers and stuff. So I was very excited to be a part of that. I really look forward to next year now that I know what to expect. Um, so, all right, with no further ado, if you weren't there, then this will be new. Uh, if you were there, we're going to start at the same place that we did out in the park in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you take your Bible and turn there, but we're, it's not going to be the same message. We're going to start at the same spot, but we're going to go in a different direction. And what I'd like to do this morning with my prayer is this. I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then maybe wrap it up with telling you what I already told you, that type of thing. <laughs> Anyways, um, I told her to say that when I said about telling you to do that. I did not. Told you. Anyways, um, what I'd like to do is to present the resurrection. This is the Lord's Day. This is Sunday is the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day we gather in church is because it commemorates in remembrance of what Jesus did. He died for our sins three days ago, but he was buried and then he rose again on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Okay, so that's why we gather in the name of the Lord in a building that we call a church building. It could be in the park. It could be in a building. It's an honor and a privilege to have a building, but the Lord's day is the day that he rose from the dead. And if he just stayed in the grave, I mean, is he, any, is he any different than any other religious leader? I mean, really. I'd still think he'd be better than all the other ones, right? But the, but the fact that he rose again from the dead makes our faith so unique. It's the most unique. And so I'd like to start with the idea of the resurrection or the reality of the resurrection. But I'd like to go back to the Old Testament and use some Old Testament examples as far as the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, which would be representative of the cross, when the lamb was slain, the Passover lamb, and then when they exodused, exited um, Egypt, they, they crossed the Red Sea, which was the greatest miracle of the Old Testament per se, Whereas the resurrection is the greatest, uh, you know, visible sign of resurrection or of a miracle in the New Testament. But going into the promised land is a picture of the resurrection life of Christ. So you have the death, the burial, and the resurrection in the Old Testament as pictured by the nation of Israel. Fair enough? So I think the challenge today is is to see where you're kind of at in that journey. Because I'll find myself and maybe a lot of Christians frustrated with their walk with Christ. And they, they kind of find themselves murmuring and complaining 
where, where maybe the Christian life seems a little bit mundane, a little bit monotonous, a little bit dry, a little bit arid, a little bit dusty, like a desert, right? <laughs> and so I'd like to just maybe have you take your own temperature, you know, uh, and see where you fit in this equation. Because God's real plan for his resurrected life was not to just die for your sins. That's awesome. But he wanted to be buried. That's great. He had to be physically dead for three days and three nights as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. But he also had to rise from the dead on the third day to give us life. And not just any life, but resurrection life. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which you have received according to the scripture. That's the first half of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the gospel, the cross, right? And that he was buried, right? He was buried. How many days? Three. And that he rose again from the dead. Up from the grave he arose, Right? Um, according to the scriptures and all things were fulfilled written about him according to the scriptures in fact after Jesus rose from the dead on in Luke 24 on the road of Emmaus after he rose from the dead he he told these people who were uh, who were a little bit sad because they thought Jesus was going to rise from the dead like he said and he says are you kind of slow of heart not to believe all that the prophets have written concerning him. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and to be buried and to rise again from the dead? And then he opened unto them, the, he opened unto them the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and he expounded unto them all the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Amen? Because all the Bible was pointing towards Jesus in the Old Testament. It was pointing forward. In the New Testament, it's pointing backward. And the center of it all is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The pivotal point of human history. So, I'd like to continue to read on. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain, and you are yet still in your sins. In other words, if Easter isn't true... Let's not come back any other Easter, any other Sunday, close the doors, turn this into a, what, what, what do you think would sell? Bingo? Laser tag? I mean, what should we do from this place? Um, make it a Pinterest hut? I don't know. Is that even a thing? Um, like, let, let's not even put a cross on a building. Let's not carry around a Bible. Let's not pray before dinner. Get the, the he is greater than I thing off your car. Uh, no more fish logos. I mean, no more Christmas. <gasps> no more anything. If Christ didn't rise, if he wasn't born in Christmas, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rise again from the dead, what are we doing here? 
Do you get the point? That's how magnanimous, is that a word? Mag, just lip it to me and I'll, I'll read it back. Okay, that's how huge it is. Um, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. If he just stayed in the grave and he just said, I'm dying for your sins, he's no better than a martyr, right? That's what a martyr would do. But remember, Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I take it up again. So he rose from the dead. Let's, let's read on. Uh, verse 18. Then also they which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men and women most miserable. If there's no hope of eternal life, which is what resurrection life is. You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but that wasn't resurrection life. That was you just get your old cruddy life back, Lazarus, but you're still going to die of cancer. That's what kind of life that was. Who wants that, right? Be like, no thanks, I'll just stay in the grave and go to heaven. <laughs> but Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he never went back to tasting death ever again. Resurrection life is you're raised and now you have life and you have it for eternity, never to die again. That's what resurrection life is. That's the kind of life Jesus has exclusive to him amen you cannot give out what you don't have what you don't have power to give out okay so he can give resurrection life because remember when he raised up people from the dead he said i am the resurrection and the life he is resurrection life so he can give resurrection life so he where were we verse 20 now verse um 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that have slept? For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man, that's the last Adam, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but in Jesus all will be made alive if the condition is you put your faith alone in Christ alone. All right, let's pray and then we'll look at some other verses. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share the wonderful message and the wonderful truth and reality that you rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. And so, Lord, some 2,000 years ago, you did what, what's impossible to man. Sin separated us from you. Sin prevented us from living everlastingly with you. But you came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I thank you for that. I thank you for dying for our sins, but also for rising again from the dead to give us life. And I pray, Lord, that you would connect all the dots, that your Holy Spirit would turn on all the light switches of our heart, and that we would, just, we would leave here really knowing that we just don't have a dead, stale religion based on rules or regulations, but we have a a vibrant, living, loving relationship with a Savior who didn't stay in the grave and I pray that maybe this Easter would be the first Easter someone just says aha I get it Jesus is alive he lives in me he wants to live his life with me and I could experience that life I pray that in Jesus name amen so I Jen you weren't there but this morning I mentioned a bucket list item of ours which is we'd like to go um, see 
uh, all the piers that we can up and down the, the West Coast. And um, it's kind of a bucket list thing. You know, we want to go to each pier, walk out to the end. Um, maybe Jen could throw, no, she wouldn't throw her gum in the, in the water. Maybe Hakalugi, that sounds more like her. Um, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That is not appropriate in church or for my wife. Um, but we want to do that. And one of, one of my bucket list things, and you're going to say, this is kind of weird. I want to go to all the tombs of all the world religious leaders in the world. I've already been to one. Um, and I won't mention because I don't want to offend anyone. But I thought, huh, interesting. And all your wives are buried right next to you, too. Hmm, interesting. But you're still there, right? I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to offend anyone. Um, it was in Utah. Um, but I've also been to, but if you think about it, um, Muhammad, his tomb, he, you know, he was the founder of Islam. Um, and you, the followers of Islam are called Muslims. And they have a book and he had a vision and an angel told him, write this book and take a little bit of the Bible, put it in your new book called the Quran. By the way, you could have multiple wives and teach people if they follow what you teach them and do what they do based on the rules written in your book, that they could go to paradise and have 72 virgins, right? That was his, that was his gig. And um, people by the millions flock to his grave and visit his grave. He, yeah, he wrote a book. He made up some rules and some guidelines, gave some, some people some procedures, stuck the carrot out in front of him. If you do these things, you'll get these things, right? But he's still in his grave. Buddha, grave. Confucius, grave. I know these are philosophers, but Plato, Socrates, um, grave, grave. Um, how about some contemporary people? Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the Christian Science, mid-1800s, grave. Charles Taz Russell, founder of Jehovah Witnesses, uh, started that religious movement, grave. Um, this one, uh, you wouldn't say is a religion, but it is kind of a religion. Charles Darwin, you know, founder of the theory of evolution, grave. Um, uh, Gandhi, grave. David Koresh, cult leader, right? Grave. Actually, he made his, <laughs> his grave ended up being the compound in which he was fighting for. Grave. But Jesus went to his tomb. Adam, show the picture. I don't know. Where's it back? Yeah. So that's in Israel. That's a picture I took. Um, and they had to kind of, you know, build a little bit of the wall up. And I have a lot more pictures to show, but I just wanted to show you this one. They actually have the channel in front of the tomb also it's carved out of a rock hewn out of a rock right this was a rich person's grave that was given to jesus but they have the channel to where they they roll the stone and then they roll it you know to seal the tomb and inside is a bed uh cut out of rock where they where he laid and it's awesome to go there and i had the privilege of preaching there i don't know how many years ago it was um but i preached to preachers and i was able to preach on the resurrection and i was so honored and privileged to do that but to to preach a message wherein right behind me was the actual tomb that Jesus occupied for three days and is no longer there that's phenomenal if you think about it I've even been there and sometimes I like you know I just go through the motions I'm not so when you hear me talk this morning I'm also talking to myself to where 
I could be so familiar with these things that it kind of breeds neglect or kind of that familiarity kind of just like, yeah. Do you realize like Easter is all about, there was a guy who said, I will start my church, build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The guy that started our faith, you might say the Christian religion, which we know it's a relationship, he died too, but he didn't stay dead, right? A little bit unique. Don't you find something? One of these things aren't like the other. Jesus rules from the dead. <laughs> you know, There's something very unique about what we have. Because you can't compare, well, you do this and I do that. You could wear that. Well, I could wear this. Well, you say you can't do that, but I can't do that. What? What? Who cares? Our founder died for our sins and was sinless, by the way and guiltless, deserving not of the death penalty, but he laid his life down as a substitutionary sacrifice, was buried in this tomb, and then rose again from the dead. Right around the corner um, where he was crucified from here, I have pictures of that too, is Golgotha and Calvary. Two different names, Hebrew and Greek for the same place. The place of skull. And it still looks like it today. And it's very interesting because... um, uh, the place of skull, it looks like two eyeballs carved out of the mountain. And then on top of it uh, was where the, th- the three people were crucified, Jesus being in the middle. But it's very interesting because about 500 years ago, I might have my dates wrong, but there's a very famous Muslim who was buried on the top of this mountain called Calvary. And um, what was the other one I said? Golgotha. Um, so... <clears throat> On the top, I'm saying this because they're not going to excavate or do anything to this mountain because of the respect of this religious leader from 500 years ago. So it's preserved is what I'm saying. You could go there and say, oh, Calvary, the place of skull where Jesus was hung in a humiliating manner, stripped down to nothing, where people walk by. It's just outside of the gate of Jerusalem, where it's a main thoroughfare, where people could walk by to go to the marketplace, and they would look, and, 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 and in humiliation, he's hanging up there, not for crimes that he committed, but for our sins. And it's very interesting that they took him down, and then they put him in this, in this grave. And so what I'd like to talk about, if you'll go back to that slide, Adam, is this, Romans 5, 8, 9, and 10. This might just be verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The reason why I'm bringing this verse up is because I want to draw your attention to a very important fact of the gospel. The gospel that I read this morning, according to the scriptures, is the death the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, right? You need those components to have the gospel. Did Jesus die for our sins? Yes. But what if he didn't rise from the dead? Would that be the gospel? How are you saved according to this verse? By the death of Jesus? How are you saved according to this verse? By his life. Now, is it a life that's still in a grave or is it a life that resurrected on the third day? You see the importance of salvation? You need the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection. We are saved by his life. I'm not minimizing the cross at all. See, Jesus lived the perfect life we could not live and died the death we should have died, but he also resurrected with the life that we need. Jesus not only died for us, he died as us, and then he lives for us. Jesus not only gave his life for us, he gave his life to us. He imparted it inside of us as believers. So Jesus died to completely forgive us, but Jesus resurrected from the dead to completely fill us. He died for our sins, but he rose again to be our life. So until we finalize the cross, we'll never realize the resurrection. Until we finalize his death, we'll never realize his life. So he gave himself for us to put himself in us to live his life with us. So hear me on this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but to give dead people life. Because here's the catch of resurrection. Who does resurrection life apply to? In other words, who needs and benefits from resurrection life? Who needs it? Dead people. <laughs> resurrection only applies to dead people, right? That's the people that benefit from resurrection life, are dead people. When you came to Christ, what did you need the most? You being dead in your trespasses and sins, being dead, separated from God. You, um, you were, you know, dead. I already said it, dead in your sins. <laughs> so dead people need resurrection life. And the only person and place they could get it is found in the resurrection himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we need. I've given this illustration many times before, but I'm going to give it again. So if someone falls over dead with cancer right now, they have cancer and then they die, they have two problems. They have a disease, but now they have death. So what does that person need the most? They need, they need life, right? A dead person, what they need most, they need the cure to cancer, but they also need life. Jesus dying for our sins took care of the problem of the, the, the disease of sin, right? He, that, that thing that separated us, God couldn't dwell with us, kicked Adam out of the garden because of sin, and has been separated from man ever since. Then Jesus said, I want a relationship with my creation. I will step out of heaven. I will come as man, live as man, die as a sinful man, and then uh, give my life to man so we could be in relationship again as it was before the fall of man. Right? And so that was the eternal purpose of God. He wanted oneness. He wanted compatibility. He wanted communion. He wanted fellowship. He wanted to give us life. And like I said, I wanted to illustrate this by um, using the Old Testament as an example. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Numbers chapter 20. Now the book of Numbers is a census, thus the name. So in Numbers chapter 1, verse 46, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 20, but I want to give you a little background of the book. So in Numbers chapter 1 and verse 46, we read of 603,550 men, not counting the women and the children, that left in the exodus out of Egypt to go into the desert where they wandered for 40 years. Now, at the end of the book of Numbers, 
In Numbers 26, verse 51, we read of this number, because the book's a census, 601,730 men, not counting the women and the children. So what's with the couple thousand, 3,000 people difference? The difference is not that 3,000 people died uh, in, in, the, in the wilderness as they wandered for, <laughs> just think of, in the wilderness. Anyways, um, <clears throat> Nacho Libre, if you're wondering. Um, not that there's a, there's a few thousand people that died and then 601,730 of the original went in. It's a totally different number of people. The only two people that went into the promised land that left Egypt were Joshua and Caleb. So this other 601,000 plus the men and women, or plus the women and children, uh, that whole number right there um, uh, <clears throat> is a totally new generation. Okay, so we see this that they had enough faith to be redeemed and to be led out of Egypt but they lacked the faith to enter into rest. They had the faith to go out of Egypt, but they lacked the faith to go into the promised land. They had the faith to be saved, but they didn't have the faith to be sanctified. They had the faith for eternal life in God, but they didn't have the faith for the daily abundant life with God. And this is where I want to bring you to. I want to show you from Numbers chapter 20, even reflected in their leader Moses. So look with me if you would. Numbers chapter 20. And look with me in verse number one. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin of the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there. Remember Miriam? She was singing those songs when, when, in Exodus chapter 14 or 15 when they crossed uh, the Red Sea. She died. You know who else died there? Moses died. Who was Moses' right-hand man? Died. Who was Aaron's sons? Or anyone that came out of Egypt that was the original 600 and something thousand died. They all died except Joshua and Caleb. That's the book of Numbers. It's a census. But God's trying to teach us something here. doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to experience a death in your Christian life. It doesn't have to be drudgery of murmuring and complaining and mundaneness and staleness and death and religiosity it doesn't have to be that way so God is trying to take us back to see there was something better he wanted to lead them out by faith and to lead them in by faith but they got let out by faith and then they got their eyes off of God and onto their circumstances and they 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 started to get short-sighted and they went from faith to flesh And you see that cyclical pattern in these guys over and over again. And I'm coming down hard on them because I see it in myself. Right? I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But does it have to be a desert experience and all miserable in the meantime? And so God wanted to lead them to the promised land. And the promised land, in this sense, is not a picture of heaven. Like if once you make it in there, then you're, that's heaven. Because would you say Moses is, you know, in, in hell right now and Miriam and Aaron are in hell right now? Would you say that? They didn't go to the promised land. So if your version of the promised land is you've got to work your way in and that's salvation, your theology is kind of based on works. They had faith in the lamb in Exodus chapter 12. Remember after the 10 plagues? 
And then it came to the last and final one, the death of the firstborn. And they had to put the blood picturing a cross on the doorpost. And they had to observe that lamb. And it had to be innocent. And I think what's cool about um, Nisan 10 and this month in the Jewish calendar, Nisan 14, Jesus rode in on the triumphal entry, which was what we celebrated last week, Palm Sunday. He comes in, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they said, don't go, Jesus. They're going to kill you. But you know what was taking place? He came to the temple. He came to the temple, came to the temple. And he went back to Bethany just about every night where uh, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were. Those were his people. He, went, he hung out in Bethany. That was his, those were his peeps. That's where he went. And he went to, but he went in and they're like, Jesus, don't go. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. And he's like, it's okay. I got this, right? Paraphrasing. You know why? Because way back in Exodus chapter 12, they were to take out a lamb on Nisan 10, observe, observe, observe for four days. And then on that fourth day, the 14th day of the month, kill it. And you know what Jesus was doing? Riding in as the lamb of God. And he's like, don't worry. They're not going to find any fault in me. And they cross-examine him. Well, you know, who are we supposed to give taxes to, Caesar or to God? No problem. He's got that. She's been married this many times, and she dies. Whose brother is, or who's she going to be, whose husband is she going to have in heaven? Don't worry, got that. Well, what about this, Jesus? What about that? He's got it, got it, got it. They found no fault in him, and they didn't even know. They were proving the scripture that he's the Passover lamb. They didn't even know it. He's the lamb of God you know, spotless from the foundation of the world with this precious blood. And so he's like, don't worry, I got this. And then he laid down his life. They didn't catch him in any crime or sin. It's not like they caught Jesus off guard. You know, nothing surprised him. He gave his life, but he knew that he had to be observed for four days so the scriptures could be fulfilled. So in Numbers chapter 20, I got sidetracked there. Verse 2. Man, that was only verse 2. Well, you guys are in for a long Easter today. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses. Remember, they had already gone out. They'd already done the Passover lamb. They've already gone out. They've already crossed the Red Sea. God already swallowed up uh, Israel, or I mean uh, Egypt behind them. And now they have all they have ahead of them is, you know, not very far. They could go right into the promised land as God promised them to experience his life and his abundant grace and his place of rest and all the things that he told them. And so um, they find themselves looking at their circumstances, get their eyes off their Savior. They went, they they came out by faith, but now they're not operating by faith. They're turning to flesh. They're turning on each other. They're turning against Moses. Things are, people are getting grumpy. There's people that are griping, complaining, gossip, murmur. Sound familiar? Do you want your Christian life like that? Is that how you want to experience the Christian life? Right? And so... They were all stoked and excited when God did the miracle of the Red Sea. And now it's home sweet home. We've got, you know, it's just uh, all green lights ahead. Let's go for it. And then they found themselves in a place where they started to doubt. Would to God that we had died with our brethren, you know, verse 3, and died before the Lord. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness? That we and our cattle should die here? Yeah, that was a long con. Moses was running a long con. He's really just a sadistic leader. You know, he just, all he wanted to do was like, (laughs) brought you out here to this desert to die. 
verse 5, And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt and bring us into this evil place? It's no place of seed, there's no figs, there's no vines or pomegranates, our cow's heads are falling off, um, neither is there any water to drink. That was another reference. It's, okay. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle of congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take your rod and gather the assembly together, you and Aaron your brother, and, get this, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall bring forth its water, and you shall bring forth um, water out of the rock, so you shall give to the congregation and all their cattle and animals and stuff like that. And you'll know from the Old, the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, and that rock was Christ. The Bible says specifically, that rock was Christ. Okay, So the Bible defines the Bible. Um, so God says, okay, at first, hit the rock, Moses, and water is going to come out. And secondly, I want you to speak to the rock, and then water is going to come out. So here's what Moses does. And Moses took the rod before the Lord as he had commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, here now, you rebels. Right? He's kind of irritated. And you don't fight flesh with flesh. That's kind of the thing here. And he's coming at their flesh with flesh. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod, he smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly. This is just a picture of God's grace in spite of his disobedience. And the congregation drank and their beasts. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land where I have given them. So an act of disobedience prevented Moses from entering into the promised land. But, you know, I thought about that as I stood on Mount Nebo and I looked over the whole promised land in Israel and I thought about Moses because there, there was something dedicated to Moses where I was at. Um, and I thought, why would you want to go in with these people anyways? Like, ew, how do, ew, gross. I don't know how it's said, but it's like this murmuring, complaining people. It's just go home to be with the Lord, the person of the promised land. Don't worry about the place of the promise. Go home to be with the person of the promise. That's a way better promotion, Moses. I, I thought it was God shortchanging Moses or pulling a trick on him or a bait and switch. And actually, he got a promotion. So, um, but Moses definitely went home to be with the Lord. But here's the incident. So the rock is Christ. And the picture is this, that Jesus, how many times did he have to be crucified to pay for our sins? One time. So is Jesus going to go back to the cross? No. Why would he have to? If once was good enough and it paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future, without the shedding of blood, there is no, forg more, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why would he have to? Even in the second coming of Christ, he's not coming back to deal with sin. He did that the first coming. He's coming back to deal with sinners, right? And you're either a saint or you ain't. You're either with him or you're not. So, look. He already dealt with my sin. He already dealt with your sin on the cross. He only needed to be, that rock only needed to be smitten once. And now afterwards, in a relationship, you speak to that rock. You talk to that rock. Well, that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> don't, don't put a pet rock in your pocket and call it Jesus. <laughs> um, but the point is this, is that Moses, the children of Israel, they turned from faith. Think about this. They all in faith put 
blood on the post. And they said, Moses, we believe. And, uh, you know, let's go out from here. And they went out. And then they got a little bit dowdy when it came, you know, their backs were against the Red Sea. And then Egypt was coming. And then Moses says, fear not, see the salvation of the Lord. And so, boom, the water spread, they go across, and God takes care of the problem of Egypt. And now all they need to go, all they need to do is they left by faith, they need to keep walking and enter into the promised land by faith, but they didn't. They missed the whole point of the resurrection. And let me make a slight application here. If your whole Christian experience is just about your sins, your sins being forgiven, Jesus died for my sins, it's my sins on the cross, my sins, my future sins, this sin, that sin, and all you're doing is sin management, guess, are you looking at the Savior or are you looking at your sin and yourself? You're just looking at the first half of the gospel. Am I saying, will the Holy Spirit not, you know, teach you and correct you? Don't, don't, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm trying to help you in a sense that you might have a desert life Christian experience if all you're doing is focusing on the first half of the gospel like the children of Israel when they went out all they had was the faith for the blood of the lamb they never went into the promised land which was with faith of the abundant resurrected life of Christ that it was all to picture you see what I'm getting at can I get a witness anywhere you're like I don't like what you're saying I'm going to murmur and complain about the message, about murmuring and complaining. Um, <laughs> this is not directed towards you. I'm just saying this in the kind, but in a bold way. Don't miss the place and the person of the promised land, which is where God, he led us out to lead us in. He wants us to experience his resurrected life and don't settle for anything less than that. So as we journey on, Moses had faith to get him out, but he didn't have the faith to lead him in. He had the faith for the death of the lamb, but he did not have the faith for the resurrection life of the lamb. Instead, they hunkered down in the desert trying to uh, make the most of it. I had a coworker say that he's going to Las Vegas for a week. I'm like, a whole week? Like, seriously, you know, it's a, your vacation is in Las Vegas for a week. So he's like, what should I do? I'm like, I don't know. Go see the sharks, M&Ms, and then come home. I don't know. That sounds boring. A, a whole week. And, and then this other guy's like, well, on the way there, you could stop and see the thermometer, the world's largest thermometer and Baker. I'm like, whoa, there's a bucket list for you. I'm like, Okay, my point is this. Who's trying to hunker down and make the most of the desert? It's the desert. You realize that, right? If your car broke down in the middle of the Mojave, would you think that was a fun experience in the middle of summer? No, right? Why do you think they make buildings out there with air conditioning? It's the only way you're going to keep someone in the desert, right? Air conditioning, air conditioning, air conditioning, buildings, no windows. We don't want you to see how ugly this place is. It's like the underbelly of Vegas in, in the daytime. You're like, oh, it's hideous. No, there's nothing awesome about Vegas at all. You're like, well, you just sound anti-Vegas. <laughs> I'm complaining about you complaining about the desert. You know, If you want to make the most of a desert experience, have at it. What stays in the, what you do in the desert stays in the desert, I guess. Um, but look, 
God doesn't want you to try to make a bad situation better by just staying put and grinding it out. He wants you to move forward. And so they came to another obstacle. And that obstacle that they came to was the Jordan River. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Deuteronomy. It's in chapter 1. Deuteronomy is a really cool book in the sense. You think about it, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes to Deuteronomy, he's kind of summarizing a lot of things. It's a cool summary book. If you're like, you don't want to read the first four, read Deuteronomy. Um, but look at how he's summarizing a little bit of their wilderness wanderings. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 19. And when we departed from Herod, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. That was not a good place for them. And I said unto you, you are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God does give us. Behold, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. Remember, God said, it's yours. Just take it. Just go in by faith. As the Lord God of your fathers had said unto you, fear not, neither be discouraged. That's a great Bible word. Just go forward in faith. Experience the resurrection life of Christ. Don't just stop at the death. That's what they were doing. They were just hung up on the past. Well, the lamb, the lamb got us out. The lamb got us out. Well, what's the lamb doing for us now? We're in this desert. I guess we'll make the best of it. I hate my Christian life. I hate church. I hate this. I hate that. I guess I'll leave. That was the attitude of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And that was not God's will, right? Are you guys with me? Okay, well, let's read on. Because here's kind of revealing to us. Verse 22, And you came near unto me and every one of you and said, we will send men before us, and they will search us out uh, the land and bring us word again by the way we must go up and into what cities will she come. They're, they're being pragmatic. They're like, okay, I guess God said it, but we want to make sure God meant it, right? It's not really in faith. It's kind of, I guess. And they're saying, please uh, me well, and I took 12 men of you, uh, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain, and you came into the valley of Eshkol, and searched it out, and they, look, if you have to go and see it, is that faith? For we walk by faith and not by, right, Second Corinthians 5. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands, and they brought it down unto them, and they brought us word again, and said, it is good, it's a good land, which the Lord our God, yeah, it's everything God said was true, right? Yeah, God was right. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the Lord, a commandment of the Lord, which he just said, just go in by faith. You went out by faith of Egypt. You believed him back then. Believe him here. You believe him for the whole Passover lamb. Believe him for his life. You believed him for his death. Now believe him for his resurrection, right? You get, are you with me with the parallel here, the desert? Egypt, blood of the lamb. They went through the Red Sea, kind of the burial, the desert. And then they, God said, okay, just go into the land by faith and you'll experience wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant, uh, you'll milk, honey, everything good for you in that land. Just believe God. So anyways, notwithstanding, they wouldn't go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord God. Verse 27, 
And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. You ever find yourself in your Christian experience where things aren't going quite the way you thought? It's maybe not your best life now, right? Maybe it's not, you don't have that purpose driven. Maybe the purpose driven is gone, it's purposeless. You ever kind of hit some speed bumps along the way in your Christian experience? You ever have a health issue, a financial issue, a rebellious issue, a marital issue, and you're like, you're looking at your circumstances and you're like, I don't, I th what? You know, you kind of feel blindsided a little bit. And you kind of get your eyes off of the Lord and kind of onto your circumstances and you get all these distractions and you're, 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 just, you're responding, you're reactionary, all that kind of stuff. And then you kind of make this flippant statement towards God that he hates you and then he's leading you into this particular situation just to make your life miserable. Is that God? I don't think that's God. I know that's not God, but I'm kinda, I kind of find myself questioning God sometimes. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believed you back then to save me when I said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive, my, forgive me my sins, give me eternal life. I believed you then. I don't really believe you today, right? You ever find yourself as like a, a non-believing believer or like a Christian agnostic at best, right? You're a believer, but not really, you know? You know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and be with God. But in the meantime, it's like a mean time. It just stinks, right? So he hath brought us forth to the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Whether shall we go up? And our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, This people is greater and taller than us. The cities are a great walled up to heaven. They're exaggerating. They're evangelistically speaking. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Amicons there. And I said, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Don't you remember what God did? That should increase your faith for what God's going to do. And he told you what he's going to do. All you got to do is believe. In the verse 32, yet in this thing, you did not believe the Lord your God. So... They didn't go in. I just want to kind of wrap this up here because I want to apply this to the resurrection. Because, look, part of my purpose here is not to change the way the world thinks about Christians, but to help Christians change the way they think about God. Is God really out to get you? Does God really want to make your life miserable? Is the Christian life just a hoax? Like, hey, come to Jesus and he'll forgive you all of your sins. And he will not only give you eternal life when you die, but he'll give you a daily victorious abundant life. Do you kind of feel bait and switched a little bit? You kind of feel deserty a little bit? You kind of feel dry, arid, not arid, extra dry, the deodorant, but you feel dry and arid in your desert experience? Do you kind of feel like, man, where's the water? Uh, or if you feel like, I can't go into the promised land, look at the giants. Hey, everyone's told me about the giants and the walled city. It seems impossible. But ha did you have the faith to be let out? And you're like, oh, God, you did the Red Sea. But there's this tiny little river called the Jordan. Oh, we can't cross that. I think it's amazing. What took 40 years for Moses not to lead him in, it just took a few days for Joshua, who was one of the 12. And he said, we could go in. We could totally do this. We got this. God's got this. Just, it's, we got this. 
This is a little tiny river, and I've seen the Jordan, and it's not impressive. It's tiny. It's probably shrunk quite a bit since then, but, like, it's not a sea, you know? It's not a vast body of water. It's a river. And God could dry Look, he just did the Red Sea 40 years ago. Don't you think he could do this? And so they're like, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm, you know, conser- considering the circumstances and... <laughs> They started reasoning, and they turned from faith to flesh. But look, so God wasn't out to destroy them. God's not out to destroy you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He gave you his life to die, but he also rose again to give you his resurrected life to experience on a daily, daily, daily basis. Are you experiencing it on a daily basis? If you're not, you can no condemnation. He's just there waiting. You just need to access his life by faith. So I know this message is more, it's not all about the resurrection event. It's more about the resurrection application. What does this mean to you, the resurrection? I know you know the story. I'm just trying to get you to put shoes on the story and say, what, is, what does the resurrection mean to you on a daily basis? Right? What does the risen Christ mean to you today? Right? Are you with me still? So let's kind of close in looking at this last point. Christ is our rest, and he's our life. So they had to enter into the place of the promised land and to abide. But once they were there, um, all they had to do was abide. Not strive, but abide. And when they got there, it was the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, they were to enter into his rest as God entered into his rest. It was the place of rest. And I want to close by saying this. People need the cross for forgiveness, but they also need the resurrection for fellowship, rest, and the abundant life. So I'm going to look at just a couple more verses and then be done. Eternal life is a who, it's not a what. And this resurrected life God intends for us to not just receive and say, oh, good, I got my, you know, get out of jail free card. I'm going to heaven when I die. He gave you his life to experience his life in your daily life. And that's the picture of the promised land. And it's the person of the promise, Jesus, who we have in a relationship. So look at John chapter one and verse three, speaking to the fact that Christ is life. He has all that we need, even though we don't believe it or know it or experience it. It's still true. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So where are you going to get this life from? Your job? Your relationships? Your hobbies? um, Your fantasies? Where are you going to get this life from? In him was life. So the life that you really want and need is in him. John 3.36, he that believes on the Son has this everlasting life. This is called zoe life in the Greek. It's exclusive to eternal life found only in God. And he that believes not on the Son of God shall not see this life, but the wrath of God still abides on them. They're separated. See, Jesus on the cross took the wrath of God for us, but you could either take it on yourself or you could have Jesus take it on for you. Um, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death 
to life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, under her, I am the resurrection and the life. See, resurrection is not just an event. It's not just a holiday. It's a person. Jesus is the resurrection life, the life that never ends once he took it up again. Colossians 3, 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Christ, who is our life. Galatians 2.20, I, I quote this all the time. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in my body, under the sun, on earth, I live it by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Paul mentions this as he's speaking from prison, about ready to get his head chopped off. He says, that's what he was anticipating, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he said, I have a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. And I did a little blank, uh, and I'll just mention it. For to me to live is, you fill in the blank, religion, church, sports, food, work, money, identity, hobbies. For me to live is, what is it to you? For me to live is Christ, because he is the resurrection and the life. Amen? I, I want to close with this quote. Major Ian Thomas said this in a book that I hold dear. Um, it's called, what is it called? Um, the Saving Life of Christ. And he's talking about this very same thing, about the promised land and the resurrection side of the gospel. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. He says this, there are those who sincerely try to live a life that they do not have, substituting religion for God, Christianity for Christ, and their own noble endeavors for the energy, joy, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You could stop there and just chew on that for a while. In the absence of reality, they can only grasp at ritual, stubbornly defending the latter in the absence of the former. That's interesting. Lest they be found with neither. There are those who have a life they never live. They have come to Christ and thanked him only for what he did, that would be dying on the cross, but do not live in the power of who he is, that would be in his resurrected life. Between the Jesus who was and the Jesus who will be, they live in a spiritual vacuum, trying with no little zeal to live for Christ a life that only he can live in them and through them, perpetually begging for what in him they already have. Some powerful words. So what I'd like for you to do is uh, stand with me, and then we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. But I'd like to challenge you with this. Maybe you've never considered the death of the Lamb of God. Maybe you've never heard of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. If you've never received the gift of the gospel, for the wages of sin is death and separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never received the free gift, that he paid for uh, by himself as a love gift to you, you could receive that today, no strings attached. If you have received that gift, you'd say, yeah, I've received Jesus. He's forgiven me of my sins. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I just don't, I'm not experiencing his resurrection life. I feel like I've come to the Jordan. 
I feel like I've seen, I've heard about the giants and the walled cities and all the circumstances. I'm looking around, I'm thinking, how are my, my cattle going to be fed with water? This is metaphorically speaking. You're saying, where's the water? I'm in a desert. I'm murmuring and complaining. It doesn't have to be that way. You could, by faith, say, Jesus, I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to trust you. Uh, with my future, my unknown, and I'm going to trust you and abide and rest in your resurrected life. And I'm just going to abide in you. Amen? And experience the life that he intended for you to have. It's there. This is your best life now stuff. It just comes from placing your faith in Christ, right? So um, if that's you, just, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I do pray for this wonderful church, this wonderful gathering of believers. I thank you for those that were in the park, all the many people that were out there. I pray, Lord, that, um, that if there was some that didn't have a relationship with you this morning at the park, that they perhaps started one by faith. And Lord, for those of us that have that relationship with you, that maybe find ourselves in a desert experience May this Easter, may this Resurrection Sunday be the landmark which they look at to say, you know what, I'm going to believe you, Jesus, for the abundant life. I believe you for eternal life. I'm going to put my faith now in you for the rest of my life to enjoy this victorious Christian life. Lord, we know it's not going to come without challenges and enemies to try to rob us or foxes to come in and try to, uh, to steal from our you know, vineyard. But, Lord, we still trust in you in the management of all that stuff as well. But we really, really desire your abundant life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.